Although I'm an industrial and organizational psychologist, I frequently spend a fair amount of time around people in the human resources field. That's to be expected, given that HR is typically the business function in which all of the messy people stuff ends up. But I have a love and hate relationship with HR. I love the potential that HR people and HR as a function have for making businesses work better and for helping people thrive. But I hate the lack of evidence-based thinking and the stuff that HR people sometimes do that's really just for show. I find such HR theater frustrating, distracting, and even potentially harmful. In this episode, we discuss. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Yeah, so HR theater is totally a modern business tragedy. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> it's not, it's, it is. It's kind of a comedy, too. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, it, will, it would be a comedy if it weren't true. Uh, the fact that it exists actually makes it a bit of a tragedy. So today we're going to talk about this idea of what is HR theater, the theater. The theater. Uh, yes. <laughs> Why does it exist? And we're going to talk about how might leaders and HR practitioners deal with it. And I really think that this is something that matters enough that even if you're not in the HR field, if you're just a person working out there in an organization, or if you're maybe a leader or an executive in a different business function, regardless, this topic I think is important this idea of HR theater, because you have an influence, even if you're not in HR, on the things that HR might do or find important. So let's start with that first piece, which is, what are we talking about when we talk about HR theater? Well, and you, you see theater throughout organizations. You know, it's like all life's a stage, whatever that quote is. Um, theater is these performative behaviors. These are the programs you're like, oh, are hand clapping for better culture. Okay, we're going to hand clap. You know, the weird programs, performative behaviors, and their practices that are within the realm of human resources. Right. We are not talking about the arts and culture that's related to the Harlem Renaissance, which you may find if you Google HR theater. We're talking about this stuff that people are doing that's just for show. It really doesn't have a... Uh, a relationship with an outcome. There isn't perhaps a whole lot of evidence around whether or not something works, but people just do it because it's something to do. It's something that someone maybe thought was a good idea. And there are a bunch of different reasons why this occurs in organizations. We'll talk more about that. Uh, but, you know, I was thinking about this a little bit, and I, I think there's a handful of examples of HR theater that we can discuss, uh, some different fads. Uh, some of these are just kind of solutions in search of problems. And one of them, I think, just has to do with this broad topic of many different types of team building happen to be HR theater. Don't you think, Chris? Yeah. Or I call a mandatory family fun time, you know, because you're sitting <laughs> there, right? You're in your cubicle and you're working, you're typing away. You know, you're annoyed by the loud typer, two cubicles down. Loud typers. And, and then you get an email and you're like, oh, it's from the boss. Let's see what this is. Oh, we're going to do a team building thing. 
Okay. <laughs> and, you know, depending on the team, it could be cool. It's like, man, I love going to get lunch with my team. This is great. And the boss is going to pick up the tab. Well, I think going going to lunch as team building is probably the least harmful of the various team building things that are out there. But you know, there's there are various uh, types of solutions, and I'm using quotes with my fingers here out there that are uh, you know sold as team building ideas. Things like let's get together and do some trust falls, and, high or, high ropes <laughs> course. Or now, if you're but, rich, right? <laughs> if you're rich, you can go shoot rifles with navy seals yeah if you can write a big yeah. enough check they'll yell at you like you're a navy boot or something well, and, and here's the thing that maybe <laughs> maybe if you structured the activity of even going out and shooting with some navy seals that could be potentially really great as a team building exercise it kind of depends on how that whole thing is structured same things with a ropes course or some sort of high adventure activity but just that in and of itself potentially isn't going to lead to uh you know a stronger team so there's a, a lot of stuff out there that, that is sold as team building. You know, I was one time I, I um, was kind of a a part of a sales training event. Um, we were kind of a group of consultants that were mishmashed together with a bunch of other consultants putting on this big thing. And some of the activities were just crazy. I mean, there were games with balloons. There were a whole lot of things that were very fun. There was a lot of laughter. But the 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 question you have to ask is okay you were having fun and that's great like i i like fun fun is good but the question is does this necessarily have a relationship with an outcome that we want right is this going to increase performance is this going to uh perhaps you know impart some sort of skill or some sort of piece of knowledge that's necessary and those types of things so that's one type of hr theater that i've seen over the course of my career yeah. So like team building, this is what I think as a, you know, management consultant professional, I'm like team building. Cool. How many people you hire in this year? Right. All right. Team building. Oh, it seems to me like psychological safety and communication are problems. So we're going to do some concrete training and coaching and then measuring those behaviors after they've been installed. So now your team's larger, it's been built and then We've increased its functioning through evidence-based practices. That's team building. The other stuff's just having fun and building yeah. your culture. I just own that. I and mean, and that could be, to... right. And that could be okay too. Uh, it's just not necessarily actually leading to the outcome that you might be hoping for. And oftentimes those are the outcomes that the purveyors of these types of solutions might be suggesting that they might have, you know? So uh, another you know example of, good team build, building might just be, hey, let's clarify our roles and responsibilities. Like that can be helpful too. Awesome. You know, I, I see a lot of different types of training falling into this big bucket of HR theater. Uh, and this this is a problem all over the place when there's a, an issue in an organization. Oftentimes it's training. We should do more training. We should teach them not to be jerks to each other. We should teach them to respect people, right? And that's going to necessarily make them actually do it. And maybe, maybe not. We see a lot of different types of training out there, and some of it is uh, just really, uh, really dubious. Yeah, generational differences. Anytime mm. somebody says the word generation at work, I just throw up and die inside a little bit. And uh, <laughs> and we did a whole podcast. I'm blanking out. Um, yeah, Court Rudolph. Rudolph, yeah. yeah. Coolest dude ever. Anyway, he's got all the research on how that's a big crock of baloney. Emotional intelligence. Um, you know, sadly, 
a lot of the diversity inclusion um, stuff that is sorely needed. Some of it's good. Some of it, we have whole meta analysis as a me- how do I say that? Meta analyses. Meta analyses. There you go. Anyway, there you go. Hooked on phonics. Fail me not. <laughs> um, but we have massive studies upon studies and reviews of all these studies that show that some of it's actually harmful. But if something happens, let's say you have a um, gender incidence, uh, incident at your organization, right? Your CEO's like, well, what are we doing? Well, you might Training. have to pull out <laughs> some HR theater just to keep your job, right? Yeah, and, and we'll get we'll get know. to that. Like, there is yeah. a reason. There are legitimate reasons why HR theater exists, and we'll talk about that. Uh, but you know, I, a couple other things that I've seen out there, just some ideas. You know, there's been ideas around this, you know, authentic leadership. Like, there's this whole research stream on that, and there's some decent ideas in there, but. You know, this idea that always being as authentic as you can is really the best. Well, you know, what if you authentically have some flaws? Well, <laughs> those are probably things you need to work on, right? Uh, there was this whole research stream, well, it was by one person, really, that, that did this whole thing on power poses. Have you heard of oh, this, yeah. Chris? Yeah. yeah, and it was garbage. It was garbage. <laughs> well, so, so, but you would see execs. I see would right. see them backstage before they're about to do like a keynote or something and they'd be making their like gorilla pose or whatever yeah. it was yeah yeah so so the, the basic idea was there was some research that somebody we won't we don't need to get into you know the who and what and when and how and all this but uh some research that supposedly showed that if you like do these grandiose gestures that you like make yourself look big you know um that you do that kind of in private and that'll kind of psych you up and make you more confident and increase your performance. And it, you know this this kind of research failed to replicate. It was you know works it, as good as the magnetic golf bracelet. <laughs> now the magnetic golf bracelet. I have not tried this, but hey, if it well, and here's the thing. I mean, if that works for you, then keep on doing it. Like it's not no, no harm, right? The placebo <laughs> effect is strong, right? I mean, the, so yeah, it, it, it can be. So these are just just some examples of HR theater. I think that if you look hard at any organization, you could potentially identify some candidates for HR theater. And again, these are the things that are done primarily for show, and they are done to kind of say that we're doing something. They are not uh, necessarily, and oftentimes are directly opposed to what we would consider to be evidence-based practice. And that's kind of, you know, reason number one of why this is a problem. We are big advocates of evidence-based practice here on the Indigo Podcast. We are um, unabashedly fans of Rob Reiner and his work. So go check out his stuff uh, for sure, the the Center for Evidence-Based Management and all the stuff he's doing. Um, but this is the opposite of that in a way, right? Because it's saying, here's a solution. This is typically what happens. It's like, here's a solution, and um, this sounds like something that'd be kind of good for my organization. I have X number of dollars left in my HR training and development budget. Let's do this. <laughs> that, that That's not really how you should be approaching your organization. You should be approaching your organization with the idea of, I'm going to diagnose issues, and then I'm going to find evidence-based ways to address those issues. Uh, not just trying to find some solution and shoehorning it into your organization's um, budget. I mean, that's where that whole mandatory fun family fun time comes from. Like, you're going to do it whether you like it or not. Or, you know, 
Aunt Sally smothers you with a hug and hugs way too long, but that's okay. It's Thanksgiving. You're going to have to take the hug for the team. You know, like this <laughs> at these solutions. And sometimes it's budget driven. Sometimes it, and then sometimes it's just like, well, all the other organizations are doing it. Right. So I need to do it. So I can be familiar if I leave these jack wagons and go to another org, I can say, oh, yeah, I already know that one. Right. Right. Or we need to be doing it as an organization because other people are doing it in other organizations. And that helps us look legitimate as managers of people in our organization. Right. <laughs> so the, another reason why this is a problem is it's just a, it can be a waste of money if it's done only for performative reasons and it's not actually doing anything. Uh, of value in your organization and all of that just wastes time and effort right yeah and another reason this is a problem is it's like it's it's like a fungus that grows all over your organization so you now imagine you're a large organization you've got 2000 directors maybe 800 vps right so you got a cohort of 2800 senior mid senior leaders and then you're going to bring in a new initiative. But they've already had 12 other initiatives. And they've been trained. It's like, now, wait a minute. I thought I was doing the uh, authentic leadership. And then I made sure to do my power pose before the team meetings. But then we're going to do these 360s. And I've talked to these execs. And they're like, man, I don't know. I've been through so many training. I don't know what to do. <laughs> There's like, and look, what do we? So in this situation where this leadership training conflicts with this leadership training, you know, I biased it by this, but was that the wrong thing to do? Or it, you can have so much confusion by doing a bunch of this theater. It brings confusion into your camp to where your leaders can't be effective. And you actually spent the money and reduced the time. And now everybody's like brains are spaghetti noodles, spaghetti noodles in a bowl, mm, right? It's gosh. just all stirred up. We, we really don't want brains turned into spaghetti noodles. I, I just really, <laughs> we don't want that. that Sorry, is not... I didn't have a good analogy there, Ben. <laughs> they, they, they turned into <laughs> rotini. Um, all right, so we've talked about what HR theater is and why it's a problem to some extent. Uh, so, Chris, all right, there's this problem of HR theater. And assuming that, People out there in business, people running organizations are not dumb, right? The smart people are out there. They're doing good work. They're trying their best. So there must be some good reasons why HR theater continues to persist, right? So let's talk a little bit about that. Why might this continue to persist in organizations? Yeah, your culture or org requires it for some mm. silly reason. And that can be, you know, I've seen um, a C in the C-suite, right? Everybody comes in. It's annual budget strategy time. All right. We've got X amount of dollars to spend, right? So at the strategy meeting. All right. HR, what, what are your initiatives for this year? Okay. IT, what are your initiatives? And I've seen some, you know, one guy didn't really have a whole lot. He said, you know, we're maintaining the status quo. It seems like this piece is more strategic. We're only going to do this. And the, the CEO like threw a chair and said, if I don't have any gosh darn good ideas, then what do I need you for as executives? So there can be pressure to come up with initiatives and stuff just to show 
that you're doing something for the organization. Absolutely. But sometimes, like if you talk to our friend Chuck Bamford, sometimes table stakes is enough. <laughs> and that's actually what you want, right? Uh, that's a really good point. You know, so I guess two good points you made there. One being that sometimes, you know, you have to do something to show that you're worth your presence in the organization and that your culture just demands that. The other one being that, hey, you know, we may be trying to do this really cutting edge thing. This is this new thing that we, we're being pushed to do. And at the same time, we have all of this other stuff, kind of the basics that we're not doing well. And I think any organization, if they're looking to improve themselves, should look at the basics. You know, within the world of human resources and organizational development, we have a whole set of things that we refer to as high-performance work practices. Those are the things you need to do, right? And this is about like spending deliberate time on staffing planning and doing a good job with hiring and following best practices in uh, all those different areas, right? So uh, I think doing the table stakes is very, very important for any organization, but we can be seduced by the HR theater. You know, the other piece of this is that, you know, we are con continually bombarded with information, with data, with ideas about things that could potentially help us. And part of HR theater is potentially just, you know, picking something out of that mix. And because you're so frustrated with the, the, the data overload, that you're just saying, okay, I'm going to try this and see what happens. And, you know, that's not necessarily terrible, um, but it, it certainly is a, something that can perpetuate uh, doing things just for show. Yeah, it lacks strategy. Now, HR comes out of like they have the typical stuff like, well, how do you do benefits and how do you do enrollment? You know, getting a breastfeeding room after you pass 50 employees and all these compliance pieces. Right. Now, I see, mean, hey, that, that, by the way, that is the uh, um, whenever you are talking, Chris, whenever you're talking about compliance pieces for for HR, that's like the one thing you always bring up. Yeah, it's, very, I, what, it's interesting because, because I. It's challenging. My wife, right? I, the places she would have to go, you know, pump or try to do stuff to manage breastfeeding our child. Like, there's just not enough attention. So, uh, yes, I will bang the uh, breastfeeding pumping room drum. Like, you shouldn't have to do that in a bathroom. Ben. No, I, I agree. And, yeah, and my, I, know, my I wife, knew you would. I my just wife was, in get the, on that. was in the same situation years ago. For So I, I can empathize. But As, I, I don't know how to be an ally for it, but I'm going to fail forward in my allyship. That's for right. Breastfeeding. That's right. So you know, it's funny. I have a I have a good friend who uh, is working from home because of uh, COVID and his office got turned into the breastfeeding room. So now that they're starting to come back, he has to be very careful about how he uses his office again. Um, so just a little side note, uh, if you have yeah, left your you office, should have it, one, right? That's right. That's right. We, we gotta, we gotta accommodate. So that's awesome. Um, H, but HR comes out of this compliance stuff, but they're it always, does. anytime they're at the, like the conferences and stuff, like I really want to be more strategic HR. Yeah. I want to do strategy because strategy is somehow cooler. But then when you do this kind of theater stuff, what is strategic about wasting that bandwidth and resources? pretending or going on a half-baked trendy trend that you're going to do to your organization that's just going to end up wounding wounding it at worst or wasting a bunch of time the half-baked trendy trend don't go after those but so but ben what type of things do organizations do that drive this behavior 
Yeah. So I think there's a handful of things that are maybe cultural norms in organizations that can lead to more of this HR theater. And one of them is this idea that leaders must be decisive. Now, I, you know, we're military people. This is very common within the military. And yes, in certain situations, when time is of the essence, decisiveness can be really, really great. Most organizational situations are ones in which you probably have a little bit more time than you think you do to gather some more information and figure out what might make the most sense. So this idea of being decisive and showing that you're doing something and doing something right away, it's not always helpful. And I think it can lead to more HR theater than not. Uh, So I also think there's this idea of just trying to do things with too much speed, right? When speed is your first objective, um, you're probably going to make some not so great decisions. You're going to look for those things that are perhaps most, uh, you know, the shiny things, the easiest to access types of training or other types of stuff you want to do for your organization. And that could increase the prevalence of HR theater. Uh, Some of this is just kind of like looking to check the box on some popular things, right? Stuff that's going on in other organizations, stuff that may resonate with uh, things that are going on in broader society uh, and just kind of knee jerk uh, solutioning. It's like, here's something that came along. Let's, let's do this. I see that a lot. And then the last piece that I think um, is probably uh, a, one of the bigger drivers of, uh, of HR theater has to do with just being seduced by what, what Rob Reiner calls the solution mongers. I think this is an awesome term you know, for these, these various vendors that have all kinds of ways in which you can spend your money that are not necessarily evidence-based. Hey, they look good in suits and they buy at cool lunches at places. Of course you're seduced. You're like, man, <laughs> this, this uh, Caesar salad's amazing. Let's get one next week and discuss, right? Have you ever had an amazing Caesar salad, Chris? I actually don't like salad at all. Well, so, but, but like at a all. Se- it's made of a- rabbit food. Yeah, so but a Caesar salad—that's pretty boring. I, I don't, don't even know, know what had, the what is the Caesar salad been. Well, I don't it's even just, know. It's just generally like some—I don't know. When I think of it, it's just like some chopped up romaine lettuce with, uh, you know, like a little bit of Parmesan cheese and some um, some croutons and stuff. They're just kind of boring, and maybe some Caesar dressing. You know, I don't now, do salad speak. I don't do coffee speak. Like no, you wait, go to but, Starbucks and they're like half pump soy but yeah i, I don't do that i don't no, know but, but you ever go to a steakhouse and get like a, a really good iceberg wedge no i don't what? eat rabbit food i will eat asparagus okay, but what if, it, what if eat... it's rabbit food that is covered in blue cheese and also bacon? i don't like dressings <laughs> i'll just be like i'll take a salad hold the salad just give me the bacon bits right <laughs> all right let's bring this let's bring this uh the ship back on course so you know, I think there's a variety of reasons why this happens. Um, I, I do empathize, though, with the HR leaders out there. I do, to some extent, because there's a lot of pressure to do something. Um, there's a lot of what we call satisficing out there. We're looking for something. It's not necessarily the optimal solution, but it shows that we're doing something. You know, we <laughs> we want to keep our jobs. We want to show that we're, we're effective. Um, and, and sometimes that's Maybe that does make the most sense to just try something as long as it's not harmful. Um, but, you know, I, I do think there's a better path forward. Um, but there's there's this thing that you're evaluating your employees and your executives incorrectly, where theater wins the day 
rather than concrete, yeah, we don't want that concrete measurements of performance because maybe the maybe and this is like the not sexy approach. Um, I shaved five percent of cost and achieved this many IT trouble tickets within two hours. Wow, dude, that could be really great. Everybody has their IT resolutions and trouble tickets solved. That's amazing. But if you really want to move up into the organization, I can't tell you how many, the guy looks charismatic. He's talking, people laugh at his jokes. He talks to cross-functional executives. He's coming. And through brute force of personality, getting promoted, which sends a signal to other people in your organization that you need to be pizzazzy to get promoted. And now everybody's focused on some kind of, what we're saying, social performance, rather than actually driving real performance within your organization and savvy, savvy decision-making. So if that kind of stuff's allowed to exist, you actually don't know how to measure and evaluate performance or don't have an adequate system in place um, to drive excellence. You know, another reason why HR theater continues to exist and persist is that we all want the silver bullet. We all want some simple solution to the problems that you're facing, be it in your personal life, in your professional life, in your organization. It's a very natural tendency. The problem is that when you have very complex solutions in an organization, uh, usually, not always, but usually the solution to that complex problem is also kind of a complex solution. It's usually not just one thing that's going to fix it. Uh, so when we have this this gravity that's pulling us towards the simple, uh, that can lead us toward the direction of HR theater instead of towards something that's maybe a little bit more nuanced, maybe a little bit more holistic and multifaceted that's actually going to address the problem that we face. Yeah, and executives, I see them have this conversation. You know, yeah, CHROs, you know, that chief human resource officer for the uh, non-HR listeners that we have. You know, they talk to each other at these events, or maybe they have these like networking things, or they're on a group Slack or something where they share. And they tend to get this kind of group thing going on. And it's like, hey, we're doing this. Why? I don't know. Karen said it was really good over at her place. Right. And that we call this normative informational influence, which is our thinking and worldview are shaped by the people around us. So, which is good. You should be influenced by the people around you. But when it comes time before, okay, maybe I do want to look at that. But before you actually start executing on these initiatives, you got to put your thinking cap on and go through your regular evaluation procedure. Now, we know we did a whole episode on disinformation, navigating the media landscape. I, what was that? The how not to be tricked episode. Um, we know that when we're bombarded, now, and if you're an executive, you get a billion vendor emails a day. Yeah. But but the challenge, which you don't want, but the challenge is you actually want to kind of know what's going on out there. So you talk to your friends, you have warm introductions and that kind of stuff. But still, there's a lot of, for every solution, you could probably find 10 blog posts saying it's a garbage solution, right? And And the information landscape can be polluted and it's hard to know. And what we know from the human psyche is we default to the simple language, simple answer. But like you said, Ben, the complex problems probably don't have a super simple solution. Yeah, we actually have a phrase for that. 
in the organizational sciences, we call it requisite variety, right? This idea that when we have a, uh, a complex issue going on, oftentimes we need something with a commensurate level of complexity to actually address it. So, um, okay. So we've talked about what HR theater is, why it's a problem, why it continues to exist. We empathize to some extent with leaders out there and, and their perpetuation of HR theater. Let's turn our attention now to what um, leaders and HR practitioners might do about uh, HR theater that's out there. Well, you know, first of all, then you had this admiral guy that said this, right? It was an admiral that had this. <laughs> I, this <laughs> phrase is so cool. I wish I'd invented it. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, you you won't really come across a whole lot of executives who who say that being data-driven is bad, right? That's a very popular thing to say. I want to be data-driven. Let's be data-driven on this. Let's see what the data say. Like that's a, it sounds smart. It's, it sounds good. And it is good in a lot of ways. But oftentimes, this idea of, idea of being data-driven can sometimes be coupled with an idea of velocity and doing things quickly. Let's see what the data says. Let's do it. Uh, and it requires a little bit more than that because the data don't always speak to us in uh, on the, the the terms that we want. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I had this great phrase and this comes trademarked. We, you know, we, we have to give them like a, maybe a nickel or something every time we say it. But as you mentioned, my good friend and uh, the wonderful leader who I happen to know and, and work with um, very frequently in the Navy Rear Admiral Michael James Schwerin, he says, we need to be data patient, right? We need to be data driven and we need to be data patient. Love that uh, idea because, you know, the collection of data, the analysis of data and the interpretation of any analyses that we do with data takes time. And if we're only data driven, then we might be tempted to do things that are rash, that are that seem like a good idea, but really haven't been analyzed appropriately. So we must be data-driven, but we also need to be data-patient, trademark. Yeah, and I mean, it's this idea of like, I forget who came up with this. Maybe it was Gartner or something. No, Gartner does a quadrant. Anyway, there's a technology adoption curve. You have your early adopters, mm -hmm. your, you know, I forget how they slice the pie all the way to your laggards. Right. If you're just now getting email in your organization, you're a laggard <laughs> to the email thing. You know, if you're one of those people, send a self-addressed stamped envelope too. Okay. Well, maybe you're a bit of a laggard there, right? But if you are, and this comes to this idea of fads versus trends, which um, what was it, Colleen Dylan? We have a link to this article where she talks about this. Um I was just looking for something that would say, hey, what is what does this really, really mean? So a lot of people hop on fads and then they hop right off them. Mm -hmm. It's, it, you know, it, it was a blip. Power pose was a fad. And then it came out. It's like, hey, if you do this, you have bad decision making. You, you actually aren't evidence based or data driven. <laughs> right. But, right. But it, really what happens is people are fad driven or trend driven. Now fads people jump on and that's okay. You might do that for a little bit. Um, you know, sometimes you could see like somebody on Twitter 
there's a fad or a hashtag, they may make they may use that to ex, you know expand their audience in a brief moment, but they don't commit to it strategically. And we'll talk to that in a minute. But being trend uh, driven is as that as that data patient response, right? So early adopters take a risk, mm-hmm. right? They take a risk that it could be a fad. What if iPhones fell flat? I know like that's the worst example because iPhones are awesome. <laughs> but, but you know, they took a risk because there really wasn't. And some people bought it. They're the early adopters. Um, Betamax versus VHS, the old VCR tapes. Beta had the better technology, the better quality. They still use it in production today, believe it or not. But VHS won out the marketing wars. So if way back in the day, you had to spend six, seven hundred dollars on a player and you bought the wrong one, right? That's early. So when you're data patient, you might not be in the early adopter phase because if you do those HR initiatives or whatever too early, you run the risk of looking like a fool, right? Sure, sure. You know, and one distinction that you can make between a fad and a trend is that oftentimes a trend has to do with something that's more external, something that is... uh, influencing how your organization interacts with this environment, right? Um, some sort of broader, you know, societal, business, industry, geopolitical type of influence that you need to respond to. Uh, and it's, you know, over time is showing some sort of direction. A fad is more about, you know, certain tactics you might use within an organization. And those are things that that come and go. And you know, oftentimes are not particularly evidence-based. You know, I here's one for you. We didn't put this in the show notes, so we didn't prep this one. But I recently came across, like earlier today or maybe it was yesterday, I came across something about how astrology, like using horoscopes and the stars and stuff, is like making a comeback, like big time. And like people are trying to explain, like, why is this? Like people are, it's, it's this resurgence of popularity of these types of things. That's interesting. Um, I would say that it's probably a fad, um, given that it's not based in in reality, right? Um, I would like to see the correlation between people interested in astrology and people who also think that the Myers-Briggs type indicator is a valid uh, measure of one's um, <laughs> personality. It's probably pretty high. Yeah. And I mean, those, those, those are kind of rules of thumb for the fad versus trends. Those aren't like hard set, but trends will build upon themselves. Yeah. And we hope to start a trend towards evidence-based decision-making within organizations. We want to make it, that cool. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> so, but like what, so, and we, we're referencing Rob Breener here a lot because he's just a good dude doing amazing work in this area. But he has this thing where he says the burden of proof should be on the solution monger. Yeah. So, so, so take like one of these things, for example, you know, like let's say someone is providing emotional intelligence training. Okay. This is what the solution monger is providing. Uh, and you know, what, what Rob Reiner suggests is that, okay, maybe it is great. Maybe it is awesome, but it's not my job to show that it works or doesn't work. It's up to that individual or that organization that is trying to sell me that solution to show me how it might be useful. 
The burden of proof is on the solution monger. And so with that in mind, what that suggests, that's a direct implication, I think, for our listeners who are out there in positions of sufficient power where you're buying stuff from vendors, right? You're buying training, you're buying other types of things for organizational development purposes. What you should do is demand evidence. And you, you want to demand evidence of uh, the effectiveness of whatever the solution is. And, you know, be critical in your evaluation of that. We don't need to get into all the details, but, you know, <laughs> they'll probably come up with something. They'll probably say, oh, well, these organizations have worked it and it worked great, right? You want to dig a little deeper. Uh, remember that they should be able to show you something about the effectiveness of it, either based upon um, research, right? The, these are the, the various... Um, you know, principles that we're drawing upon or upon, you know, actual trials, so to speak, um, to use more of a medical type of uh, framework of the the various solutions that they're offering. Yeah. Well, another thing you need to do is build the, you know, what can you do about HR theater, right? For exact, you need right. to build capability in your teams of how to evaluate evidence claims how to yep. critical think some of these items. And then here's another piece that always, you know, they're like, oh, project management. Well, we'll hire a project manager. Mm. Actually, I think project management skills and knowledge and abilities need to be as common as using Outlook in the workplace because everybody manages some type of project and they need a communication plan. They need to know stakeholder management. That's just... To me, that's table stakes of getting along. But what I see a lot of people is they have a bias for a simple implementation. They have a bias for a simple solution, not because they necessarily want that solution, but they look at their team and they're like, well, I don't know how to evaluate this stuff. Or, well, I think we could be because I'd hate to spend all this money and tell the CEO we couldn't even get the software installed because we stink on our execution inside, right? You don't want to have that bias towards a simple because you don't have the evaluation skills nor the project management execution skills within your organization. So you, if you can build those key functional skills, then when you go to evaluate the landscape, you're it's hard for you to be overwhelmed or awed, harder for you to be overwhelmed and awed by these vendors that look good and, you know, awesome suits and whatever i guess the wedge salad is that the one that we're getting so we buy their stuff <laughs> <laughs> you really need to try like go to a good steakhouse and get a good iceberg wedge salad you know it's just a piece of it's iceberg wedge that's got like all this blue cheese on it and other things oh, it's great it's a great it's a, it's a wonderful kind of cold crunchy delivery system for fat it's wonderful um okay so we've talked about a few different things that executives should be thinking about with regard to HR theater, how you can maybe look at things and see whether or not it's a fad or a trend. Um, this idea of being data patient, in addition to being data driven, uh, how you should also have, you know, your solution mongers should be providing proof. I love your point, Chris, there about how we might have better project management skills to have better critical thinking about uh, evaluating the evidence that's provided. And I think maybe we could bring this back to this idea of evidence-based practice, because I really think that's where the key is to make all this better. And if you have that mindset of what evidence-based practice is about, I think you'll be less tempted by the HR theater that's out there. Yeah. And the final thing for execs 
is to think about what am am I doing? What kind of culture am I creating that would encourage this type of behavior? And if you have some of those, you need to stop doing some of those things. Talking about it with your organization, like, hey, this is what this kind of HR theater is. I hate HR theater. Are we doing any right now that we need to knock off? Simple questions like that can get you back on the right path. That's right. And so just as a, as a way to wrap up here, I think it's important for us to revisit this idea of evidence-based practice, just kind of the Cliff Notes version, which is that it's, it's all about the conscientious, explicit, and judicious use of data to make better decisions. Conscientious meaning that we try hard. Explicit meaning that we make it known, we unpack it, and we describe it to others. And judicious meaning that we are critically analyzing the, the data and the evidence that we're provided. And we're using multiple sources of evidence. Scientific research is just one of them. We can also use organizational data, right? Stuff that we collect within our own, own organizations, gathering stakeholder perspectives, and also looking at best practices and what practitioners of various um, practices within organizations see as, as the best way to do things. I think all, with all of that, we can probably do a better job of avoiding this thing that we're calling HR theater. Yeah. And if you've got a really good salad recipe, let us know. <laughs> See how if can we... they get hold of us, Ben? Tell well, them yeah. how. Yeah. So just contact us at uh, um, chris at indigoanchor.com. <laughs> <laughs> Email Chris directly and give him a good salad recipe so that uh, uh, we can get, get Chris eating some more vegetables. Um, but also or hit us this... up on Twitter. We'll take Twitter too. You can hit it. Yep. Hit us up on Twitter at Podcast Indigo, or of course, you can always go to our website, indigotogether.com. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.